Hi, and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage Podcast. I'm JD from UncoveringIntimacy.com. Today we're going to be answering some questions about, uh, is it okay to fantasize about your spouse with somebody else? Is anal sex a sin? We have a question about golden showers, how much work the wife should be doing during sex, and what to do about a spouse with a low sex drive. And I also want to tell you about uh, my new dietbet.com contest that uh, you might be interested in joining. Here's a question from one of my readers. He writes, My question is about lust. Here's my problem. I absolutely adore my wife and she has a ton of sex appeal. Problem is, a lot of men do also. I know this because I hear it regularly from men about how lucky I am. So hearing this from other men does make me thankful for having a wife of that source. It also makes me want to share her sex appeal with others to appease me. But here's the bigger problem. The lusting has turned into even more over the years. Now I lust over her being with another guy. Now I want to see her please another man orally. And I truthfully don't think it's for me to watch him in pleasure, but more so to watch her perform the act and lust over her. So my question is, is this a sin since I'm lusting over my own wife? And if so, how can I stop it? So my thought is that, yes, of course, this is this is not okay. This is a sin because while you claim you're lusting over your own wife, the fact is that you're entertaining a fantasy of her doing something immoral, and that is uh, having sex outside of the bounds of her marriage. And whether you're thinking about her doing it or she's doing it is kind of immaterial. Uh, the Bible is very clear that our, our thoughts are, are judged just as much as our actions. And so the other problem is that uh, the Bible says that, you know, that uh, what starts in our hearts and what starts in our minds eventually becomes our actions. And that when we, we allow sin to have a foothold into our mind, you know, it, it grows into bigger and bigger things. That seems to be what's happened here. The you first started thinking about, oh, it's nice to have all these other guys uh, think that my wife is attractive and that you want to show her off more and more. And that's, it's not a bad thing to appreciate that you have a beautiful wife. But when you're starting to show her off to make you feel better, that becomes a point of pride and a point of kind of of saying, oh, look how good I am or look how good my wife is and not in a in a good way. And this has escalated now into a bigger problem that you're now starting to have fantasies about her doing things that are immoral. So how do you stop this? I would say stop the whole thing. Um, if somebody pays a compliment to your wife, then that's fine. You can accept it and say, yes, I agree. She's a very beautiful woman. But don't then start entertaining the notion of showing her off then to more people. Uh, whenever you have one of these thoughts, uh, don't let it grab a hold of your mind. Um, don't think about it. Uh, don't fantasize about it. Just shut it down and start thinking about something else. Of course, the options are always, uh, you can go to the Bible and start reading, reading verses. You can start looking up, uh, passages about, uh, the Bible telling us to, to purify our mind and, um, give our thoughts to God and, uh, that God will help us, help free us from temptation, um, that He doesn't uh, give us anything that we can't overcome. Uh, there are tons and tons of verses. You can just find them. Just Google them, uh, temptation and Bible verses. I'm sure you'll find them. And of course, pray about it. I have no doubt that he will help you. And that doesn't mean that you won't be tempted. I mean, everyone gets tempted. And it's not a sin to be tempted. The sin comes to place into play when you, when you entertain that temptation. Uh, if you look at Jesus in the desert, you know, he wasn't dealing with sexual temptation. Uh, but whenever temptation came out, 
and it did. I mean, Jesus was tempted. The Bible is clear on that. He immediately shut it down. He responded with with scripture. He had the verses that he knew already. And he never let Satan have even the smallest kind of bit of his mind. As soon as kind of something came up, he shut it right down. Uh, there was no delay. There was no uh, saying, oh, well, what if this? Or maybe only if you did this kind of thing. And he didn't rationalize anything either to say, oh, well, yeah, I could do that because I could twist the scripture around to do that. And you can't say, oh, you know, I'm lusting over my wife, therefore it's okay. No, it's not, because uh, this is not about your wife and you. You're, this is about your wife and somebody else. So, yeah, I'd say find, find the verses so that when you feel tempted by this, you can answer them. Uh, step up your prayer life. Um, I would tell your wife what's going on and saying, I'm struggling with this and I need help with this, and you guys can talk about it. Sometimes when you get something out of your head and somebody else is there and holding you accountable to it, uh, that can also help. And then they can ask uh, how you're doing from time to time as well as uh, pray for you as well. The next question is, uh, when it's between a husband and a wife, is anal sex a sin? Now, this is a question that has a lot of controversy in the Christian community. There's a lot of misinterpretation of Bible verses or twisting them um, to say, oh, look, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were having uh, anal sex, and therefore it's a sin. Look, they burned two entire cities around it. But that's really, I mean, you really have to read those passages in bad faith to try to get that description out of it. Um, everywhere in the Bible that anal sex is described, it is always between two men, and it doesn't talk touch on the topic at all about uh, between a husband and a wife. So there's no one that can say, oh, biblically, it, you know, anal sex is a problem. Uh, and uh, I have a whole post on this topic on my blog. If you just search for anal sex in the search, then you'll find the posts. You'll also find many, many, many comments below. Uh, some people who are saying, yes, this is completely fine. Uh with some caveats, I mean, you have to make sure that you use lube and that you go slow and you have to be relaxed and you can't rush it and all this other stuff. Uh, but you'll also find a lot of comments from people saying, no, if you do this, you're going to hell. Uh, so read through the comments, uh, make your own decision, and uh, act in accordance with your convictions. I think it's fine, but just because I think that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go through the thought process of uh, figuring it out for yourself. The next question is on golden showers. So if you don't know what golden showers are, this is the practice of urinating on your spouse. So this reader asks, I have been searching your blog for something on golden showers, but I cannot find anything. Like rimming, this is something few Christians talk about, and those who do paint it in a negative light. I have the desire to be the recipient of it. My wife has refused to pee on me, at least for now, but I'm still dealing with a desire. Many Christians would have me believe it's a wrong desire. I'm not convinced. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Uh, honestly, I, I kind of agree with the rest of the group here. Okay, so he compares this to rimming, which other people don't want to talk about, and uh, when it's talked about, it's in a negative light. Light. And if you don't know what rimming is, this is oral anal sex. So this would be licking your partner's anus. And that's a risky activity because of the bacteria that can be involved. Um, you have to be very clean. And not that I'm saying that you should engage in rimming, but at least with rimming, you can argue that there are a lot of nerve cells there. And so 
the recipient at least gains pleasure from this thing. Whereas with golden showers, there's no such thing. I mean, it doesn't feel any better to be urinated on than it would be to have a bucket of water dumped on you. The only thing I can think of is that this would be a desire to feel uh, humiliated. And that's something that I think the Bible does speak clearly about, that we should not be um, putting down our spouses and that we should not be hum- humiliating them or sh- we should not be asking them to do that to us. You know, we should be building each other up and not tearing each other down. And so I cannot think of a good reason to do this. And usually I try very hard to say, okay, well, what are both sides of this argument? You know, is there anything in the Bible that says don't do this? And in this case, the only reason I can find that you would do this is for some kind of humiliation or debasement of one of the spouses. And I think the Bible does speak against that. And I can find nothing positive about it. Now, maybe you do. If you do, come to the blog, find this episode, and comment on it. This is going to be episode 29 if you're looking for it. Let me know if you have any other reasons. I've not heard of any. But like I said, and like this reader said, it's not a question that comes up very often. I think this is perhaps the second time I've ever been asked, and it hasn't been enough to even address yeah. So the next question we have is, how much of the work of sex should the wife be doing? My husband has much more energy and stamina for thrusting, but I know he would appreciate me doing more. And that's, uh, I mean, this is not an uncommon question. Uh, it's very, very typical uh, for the husband to do a lot of the work during sex. And um, part of this is because, well, just mechanically, it is... Uh, far easier to do the thrusting than it is for the woman to be on top um, rocking or grinding or whatever. It takes different muscles, they're different muscle groups, and it's just it's just physically easier for a guy. So it's not quite comparing the same the two things together. Uh, as well, men tend to, not always, but uh, more men than not tend to be the higher drive spouse, and so they're more interested in sex, they want sex more often, and therefore they're more likely to invest more time and effort and work into it than their spouse would be. But that doesn't mean that women shouldn't uh, do some of the work. As she says, you know, she knows that her husband would appreciate her doing more. And I think for that reason alone, you know, something at least deserves con- uh, consideration and uh you should definitely look into doing it. And it doesn't have to be a lot of work, but I think most husbands would definitely appreciate their spouse doing more work in the bedroom. So that means you can get on top for a while, and you know what, the first time it might be hard. If you have not used those leg muscles, uh, <laughs> you might not be able to go for very long the first day. Uh, but if you keep trying it, you get better and better and better and stronger and stronger muscles, and you'll be able to do it for longer and longer. And you might actually find something that uh, works really well for you guys. Uh, a lot of women find that they can only orgasm when they're on top or when they're uh, in control of the motions because um, the majority of women do not, will not orgasm from intercourse, especially when the husband is doing all the work uh, because it just doesn't hit the right nerves and uh, it's not at the right uh, consistent speed. You don't have that you know, there isn't a instantaneous feedback loop going on, whereas if you're doing it yourself, then you know immediately how to adjust and how to change and what feels good and when you shouldn't stop and when you should. So how much of the work should you be doing? Enough so that both spouses feel that uh, you're kind of being equal partners in this. That's what I think. You know, you should show that you're engaged and that you're interested and that you'll 
want to give your spouse pleasure and uh, work to find new ways to do that or ways that you know that they'll enjoy. And, you know, sometimes, uh, and many times men don't want their wives to do the work because they feel like, oh, you should be doing some of this. I shouldn't be the only one working. But it's because if you're doing some of the work during sex, that then that means you're more invested in what's going on. Uh, it's kind of like if you're just lying there in what we call the starfish position, which is when you're basically acting like a starfish and not moving, then it feels like you're very disconnected. Uh, it feels like you're not involved and you don't really want to be there and you're really just doing it for the husband. And Whereas if you, say, climb on top and like a woman on top position, then it's very clear that, oh, you're... You know, you're willing to put some energy into this. You're willing to do something. It's no longer a one-sided affair. And the other thing is that uh, you might want to actually do it for yourself because if you're the one who takes control and you kind of take the reins uh, once in a while and you, you do the work, then it kind of t- tells your, your brain and your body the same kind of thing that, no, I want this thing. I'm doing this thing. And, uh, and your brain kind of becomes a less reluctant lover. And it responds differently as well. It's like if you get um, dragged out for a walk uh, by your spouse rather than saying, yeah, I definitely want to go for a walk, and you start putting on your shoes um, because you want to go. Um, you'll enjoy it a lot more. And the same kind of thing happens with sex. So I would encourage you to find ways to do more of the work. And it doesn't necessarily have to be... Uh, thrusting like you don't have to try to match what your husband's doing because frankly things don't line up that way Um, you're going to have different movements and different motions and different things you can do and it doesn't have to be during intercourse either Uh, it could be that you put in more of the work during foreplay and uh, he puts in more of the work during sex whatever the case just find a way to make it feel like you're an engaged equal partner in this sexual relationship All right, I'm going to do one more question. Uh, This reader writes, Hi, I've been married for 18 years and my wife's drive is way low. Once a month or every other month is good for her. I have tried to talk about it and it's always a fight. I love her very much, but this is getting harder and harder as the years go on. And this is a question I get constantly. In fact, it is probably the number one biggest question I get is that one spouse saying my other, the other spouse is not interested in sex. This is hard for me. What do I do? And unfortunately, we don't really talk about it that much uh, in Christianity. We just kind of ignore the fact that that spouses uh, can have different sex drives. In fact, almost always have different sex drives. and Or we do the opposite, that we just you know go, yeah, we, we all know men want sex more and women want sex less, which is an absolutely horrible stereotype, by the way. Uh, but we just accept that as a status quo and go, yep, it's always going to be a problem. Nothing you can do about it. That's life. Enjoy your marriage. And the problem is we, we ignore uh, all the information that's out there about sex drives and arousal and everything that could actually help um, to mitigate some of these problems and for people to understand better how their brains work and how their drives work and how um, they get aroused and all the stuff that can make marriages actually function better. 
because we have these directives in the Bible that say, you know, you should not deprive your spouse of sex. And they kind of get look at, looked at like, oh, okay, so then I guess it's just my obligation or my duty. And unfortunately, while the Bible has a lot of really good advice for how to not look at things like it's an obligation or a duty, but in fact to be like a willing participant, whether we're talking about our relationship with God and we're talking about following his commandments and directives and laws and everything, or if we're talking about um, being a good spouse. A lot of times there's a lot of overlap there. And just as we shouldn't be just following God's laws because, oh, well, that's what he said, and therefore we should do it. And so I'm going to grudgingly do this duty as a Christian that I'm going to tithe or I'm going to serve my church or whatever. Uh, Instead, we should be doing this willingly out of an an act of love, a service to God. And in the same way in our marriages, we should be trying to change our attitudes, not from merely looking at it like a duty or an obligation, but actually being willing and engaged, realizing, no, this, you know, God makes these rules for a reason, and they're generally to help us and to make us happier here on earth. You know, almost the majority of the Bible's uh, rules and laws and everything are, are designed to help us here in this life on this earth. Uh, because most of the stuff, we won't have to worry about it once we're in heaven. So, that's a really long way of saying that that we shouldn't just give up because, oh, that's the way it is. And I think the church should be doing a better job of saying, no, there is out, help out there, there are things you can do. And <clears throat> it's not a simple thing, it takes... Uh, learning to communicate about difficult topics with your spouse, uh, which I read a lot about, and uh, also learning uh, more about how our brains work and to approach sex as kind of different than we're classically taught to. Not to approach it as, you know, a duty or an obligation, but instead um, something that's there for both of us uh, to bind us together as a husband and wife. So, for example, a lot of us, we have this idea that sex drive is either, you know, you have a high drive or you have a low drive. And even in this question, uh, this guy says, you know, my wife's drive is way low. And I've said stuff like this in the past, too. And you know what? After five years of writing about sex and reading about sex and podcasting and talking and everything, I've learned that sex drive is a crazy oversimplification of what's going on. And we should not be saying that men generally have high sex drives and women have low sex drives, or our house spouse has a high drive, or our spouse has a low drive, or we do. Um, instead, we should be uh, recognizing all the different components that go together to kind of make up what that drive is. Because... <clears throat> What's actually going on is that uh, the people that we say have high drives don't necessarily have high drives. What they have is typically is a spontaneous drive. That is, that they seem to uh, want sex or get aroused seemingly out of nowhere. And it's not really spontaneous, it just appears spontaneous. Whereas people who are lower drive tend to have more of a responsive um, sex drive or a responsive arousal system. And then we have the dual control model where uh, someone that we might say is a high drive, um, their exciter triggers for arousal are very sensitive, whereas someone that we'd say is low drive, uh, their inhibitor system uh, has really sensitive triggers. And 
if we just call people simply, oh, you have a high drive or a low drive, then we feel like, oh, that's the way they were created or that's the way they are, and they're stuck that way. Whereas if we recognize that, okay, they're not high or low, what this person has is they have a sen- sensitive um, inhibition trigger, they have an insensitive exciter trigger for their arousal system, and they're responsive, they, they, react to a responsive arousal rather than uh, spontaneously getting aroused. And um, they're one of 90% of the people whose stress makes their inhibitor system uh, even more um, kind of trigger happy. So then if we put all these things together, we can say, okay, we have to figure out what are your inhibition triggers? Uh, what is causing stress in your life? And reduce the stress. Um, reduce the inhibition triggers. Find the things that are your excitement triggers and then pump them up. And then uh, recognize that they're still probably never going to all of a sudden decide, oh, I want to have sex. So when you go to them and ask, hey, are you in the mood for sex? The answer will always be no. Because they're not spontaneously aroused, they need something to arouse them first. And so if we figure out these things and we understand um, how they work and how their brains work, then we can go, okay, now we can put together a formula that will actually get you from, no, I'm not in the mood for sex, to, yes, I really want sex now. And that may be already halfway through sex that that happens. But if you both understand that this is how their brain works, um, you can both make a plan to get there and hopefully be willing to go through the work to say, this is what we need to do to get it so that we're both engaged in this together. And then it's not a, oh, you know, my wife is low drive and I'm high drive. Then it's my brain works this way and your brain works this way and this is how we do things together. And we do that in other aspects of our marriage. You know, we figure out, oh, this is your communication, this is my communication style, um, and how are we going to work together? Or, oh, you're a spender and I'm a saver and how are we going to change that so that we can have some saving and some spending? And for some reason in sex, everybody just goes, oh, well, they're high drive and they're low drive and that's it. That's the way God made them and we're done. We're always going to have that conflict. And it's it's absolutely ridiculous that nobody's talking about any of this stuff because most of this research is not new. It's been around for decades, and yet we are so inhibited in not only Christian culture but our society, which has up until recently been predominantly Christian as well, that nobody knows about this stuff. And unless you're looking and doing the research, then you're probably never going to find out about it. Um, so that's a bit of a rant to say, Hey, your wife's drive is not way low. Probably. What's probably going on is you don't know what your wife's inhibitor triggers are. You don't understand that she's responsive arousal instead of spontaneous like you are. And you probably don't know what it is that actually gets her aroused. And she probably doesn't either because no one's ever taken the time to figure it out. And chances are, like most women and most men in the world, she's probably chronically stressed, and that is seriously playing on her arousal system as well. So figure out what the stressors are. Find ways to close the stress loop, like complete the stress cycle and get it resolved so that they feel safe again. And I know this is a lot of stuff, and I'm going through it really fast, um, but if you want more information on this, um, I, I put together a PDF for it for another... Um, post that I did. Um, you can go to uncoveringintimacy.com slash sex drive and you can get a free PDF there that goes through a lot of these systems and it's, it's pretty quick. Um, 
but it's enough to give you an idea and uh, a place to start to figure out uh, how do we start going through these things to work together. And I'm afraid it's not going to be a, a simple answer. It's not an easy answer. And that's probably a good thing because one of the things that marriage teaches us more than anything else is to be patient and to be compassionate and to see things from other people's perspective. And this is going to require you both to do that. Uh, but if you can do it, you can probably turn out with a really good marriage that you're both are satisfied and you both are getting what you need. And this will train you to handle other aspects of your marriage as well. Marriages are holistic. And so if you change one aspect of your marriage, it usually overflows into other aspects. And if you learn skills in one area, then you usually learn them in other areas as well. And so that's it for today. That's my podcast. Uh, I hope it was helpful to the people who asked the questions and to you who are listening. A couple of things that are going on. Uh, firstly, uh, we re- released a new book lately. Uh, it's called What Do Wives Want? Uh, I took the input from a couple dozen wives uh, while I was writing this book uh, to try to give uh, husbands kind of a crash course in this is what wives generally want from their husbands. Because if you talk to most husbands, frankly, we don't have a clue most of the time. And honestly, women often don't know either. Um, They don't know what it is that they want. They just often know that they're not getting what they need. And this isn't just about sex. This is about um, safety and security and uh, communication and how to show love and things like that. And it's not every answer to everything. And it, I can't tell you exactly what your wife needs, but it's a primer and it gives you uh, general areas and ideas and points you in the right direction so that you can start having those conversations. And for every guy that's read the book and said, this is amazing. Thank you. It helped a lot. There has been a woman who's read the book and said, Yes, this is what I needed, and I didn't even know how to tell my husband. So I encourage you to go check it out. It's on the website at uncoveringintimacy.com slash WDWW, short for What Do Wives Want? Or you can find it at the bottom in the footer. It's probably in in the resource list because it's one of the popular titles right now. It's also on Kindle uh, if you want to find it there. And I'm also starting a game over at uh, dietbet.com. Uh, for those of you who don't know what dietbet.com is, it's uh, a platform for people who are basically trying to lose weight. Um, what happens is you put in money. Uh, in my case, I've set the limit at $35. That You say, uh, I will put up $35 to say that I will lose this weight. And if you if you don't lose the weight, then frankly, you lose your $35. So it has that motivation uh, <laughs> to not not lose your money. Um, and if you win the money, then the pot gets split up amongst all the winners, um, minus dietbet.com's administrative fees. I make nothing from this game. Uh, I'm just doing it because uh, I've tried it the last couple of months, and frankly, I'm losing weight. It's working fantastically well, and my wife's been doing the same thing. Uh, in two months, we've lost close to 20 pounds. So it's really working for us, and I know a lot of my readers write in, uh, saying the same thing, that they're having trouble losing weight and they think that's part of their marriage problems, which it probably isn't, but couldn't hurt. So if you're looking for uh, some motivation to lose weight, um, you can check out, uh, if you go to the website to uncoveringintimacy.com slash dietbet, uh, it'll forward you straight to the game. Uh, it's really easy to sign up. It's really easy to weigh in. Um, they handle all the stuff to make sure that you don't cheat. And uh, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be trying to log in every single day and 
help support you guys. Honestly, I want there to be no losers in the game. If we all come back with all of our money, I would be perfectly happy with that because that means we have all lost weight and that was our goal. So I'm going to do my best uh, to motivate you guys as well as myself because I'm in this with you guys as well. So come check that out. And uh, if you enjoyed the podcast and if you're listening on an Apple product or have an Apple ID, uh, I'd love it if you'd rate us on iTunes. Uh, and leave us a review. Uh, that's how other people figure out that, well, you you like this podcast, and maybe they will too. If you're looking to contact me directly, you can email me at jay at uncoveringintimacy.com. If you're looking for more help with your marriage, be sure to check out the blog. Uh, we have hundreds of articles there and resources like printables and books and question starters and more. Uh, and if you're looking to support us directly, you can check out uncoveringintimacy.com slash champion and it'll forward you to our Patreon page, uh, where you can sign up, uh, to give like a monthly donation, even as little as a dollar, uh, actually makes a difference. And if you do that, if you're willing to give a dollar a month, then you get access to our secret Facebook group, uh, where I participate a lot and I answer a lot of questions there as well. There's, uh, a growing group of like-minded sex-positive Christians who are all there to kind of support us in our ministry and support each other. And uh, frankly, it's a great group. I love to interact with them. We have a lot of fun together. And make sure you subscribe on the website so you don't miss out on any new posts or podcast episodes or resources or contests that we run. And that's all for now. Hopefully we'll be back with another podcast soon.